This is the Joy of Geek. Welcome to the Joy of Geek podcast. I am Rich Lepore. Jordan Alsaka. Kevin Schaefer. And we are here coming to you live from, not live, but from quarantine. Um, sort of a, a reunion show for the Joy of Geek podcast. And uh, we're just, uh, we're excited to, to get back and talk about some of the stuff we've been uh, we've been watching and checking out. We're also going to be talking about Bloodshot on this episode. Kevin, why don't you go into a little more of the, uh, the philosophy behind this? Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, as anyone who listens to our show knows, we've been on really indefinite hiatus um, for a while. And uh, that was kind of unintentional. It sort of just, you know, life happens um, between work and then Jordan moved again. And we've all been kind of just living, you know, crazy, hectic lives. And then now coronavirus happens and we're all stuck at home. So I messaged Rich and Jordan last week and was like, hey, why don't we use the time to record a podcast just for the heck of it? Because um, that's pretty much all we're doing right now is watching movies and playing video games and reading comics. So I figured that's it was... Sure. We can make at least uh, have a little silver lining out of all this craziness in the world right now, and so yeah, they agreed to it, and now here we are. So, um, so yeah, it's been like uh, I don't know. We want to talk about kind of what's been going on in our lives for the last year, just to kind of like check in with our uh, any of our loyal listeners out there. Sure, sure, I can. Uh, I'll I'll start that off, and I'll yeah. just say that um, right around the time that we were recording our. Um, 2018. Wow. Um, I know, right? The best uh, of 2018 episodes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was starting a crazy new job that took over my life, body and soul. That's happened once or twice before in my past. Um, But but in starting that job and, you know, in uh, just all the hecticness that went along with that. um, However, it's been a really good year of growth for me. Really excited about 2020, except for the COVID part. you know, so uh, trying to trying to keep uh, keep everything as positive as possible. That's that's kind of my update. Why don't you go, Jordan? What have you been um, doing? Oh, I mean, I haven't been up to a whole lot. It's uh, I don't know since those episodes. Um, yeah, we moved. We were in Phoenix. Now we're in uh, Washington State. Um, and yeah, I mean, you know, I went from one part time retail job to another one, uh, which. Now, I don't even know if that'll open back up because it's Pier 1 and they're not uh, doing great anyway. And now all this is happening. Uh, but other than that, you know, I'm still writing and working on projects. Uh, I haven't had any big things happen really in the past year or so. But it's been a lot of behind the scenes progress on different writing projects and whatnot. And yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. It's just uh, it's been kind of a year of, of slow behind the scenes progress. Though Jordan, you know, those I, it, are the things. Those are the things that happen. Those are the reasons that people get annoyed when you say that they're an overnight success because you just heard of them overnight. They don't realize that there were all the behind-the-scenes progress that was going on for years and years and years that led up to that success. So you're essentially logging those those years and hours and days, and that was out of order. But you get my point. No, yeah, I mean, uh, really, it'll it'll. Um, I don't want to say it's going to happen any day. It won't. It's especially right now, uh, but. Uh, you know, I'm putting the work in, and I have a lot of things that'll hopefully be able to happen in some form or another soon. Um, I got a question for you. What's going on with the comic industry? 
um, before we get to yours, Kevin, so I, yeah, I, sure. I know that comics is kind of shut down for a while. Uh, yeah, well, Diamond Distribution closed for the moment because the printers aren't printing, so there's no books to send, and there uh, is a lot of uncertainty, kind of like in the movie industry where, you know, a lot of the big... T- now, the problem is with comic shops, which are always... I mean, the whole market is built on a razor's, razor's edge and super thin margins, so, yeah, it's not good from that perspective. Um, predominantly, it's a question of... Our comic shop's going to be able to make it, and there have been a lot of pushes in the community to, like, you know, pick up your books, order things. Um, some publishers, like Black Mask, have, you know, if you order a book from their website and list your local comic shop, they'll send 50% of the sale to your comic shop. Um, and so there, there are initiatives going, and then there are some publishers that are still publishing digitally, some that are waiting um, and just going on hiatus, and it's the big question of, like, how much is this going to hurt comic shops? And it's the same thing with movies, where you have... The theaters are obviously not every theater in the country is shut down, but AMC and Regal are, and they're you know two of the biggest theater chains, um, and then a bunch of others. And so you have things like Trolls World Tour breaking from being in theaters at all and just releasing video on demand, and that's you know it's sort of like a it's not nice a full one to, on nice one to nice one to mention Trolls World Tour. I mean, it's the one. I mean, it's it the is one the only one. What about that. Onward? Or did that hit theaters? That, it was yeah, in theaters for about theaters. Well, about a week or so before everything shut down. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, the big issue, and it's like a, you know, the reason video on demand hasn't been explored as in depth is because of the, you know, movie theaters not really being okay with that. And if you can't get your movies distributed, they're going to make less money. So some, the, I mean, they have no clout right now. There's no theaters to not be shown in. Um, and so some people are taking those risks with their lower, bu- I mean, really trills isn't the sort of movie that's a big loss. You can probably make money on it in this video on demand format well enough. Um, but it's, it, it's this, it could be the end of theaters, could be the end of comic shops. If these other distribution models are being tested more vigorously and if they prove successful enough, you know, yeah. comics is a little different because for the big two, you know, Warner and Disney don't really care about comics other than as IP. So, you know, I mean, like the companies themselves do. Marvel and DC's jobs is to sell comics, but ultimately, you know, they don't matter. Well, everything is owned by what? You know, four to six big conglomerates anyway. Um, and so at the end of the day, Marvel and DC are sub sub companies underneath other bigger umbrellas that make the real decisions. So, you know, a lot of it's beholden to, to whatever happens um, in rooms where people don't necessarily understand or care about creativity. That's a broad overgeneralization, but it's a little scary. No, oh, yeah, I mean, it is what it is. So, yeah, the big question is how this happens. Again, a lot of a lot of the production companies are just waiting. Um, a lot of movies have been delayed either to later this year or into early next year. Um, and how that affects other distribution or other films being shot is yet to be seen. But, you know, we'll, we'll see. Hey Jordan, real quick. If I'm not mistaken, going back to your creative projects for a minute, the but when the when about when we stopped recording, we have to go back. Came out. Am I correct? Yeah, that would have been yeah. when I it was released. Yeah, so that was a big and like yeah, no, I know that was a big passion project for you, and I really loved it. So that was a really cool. Um, but yeah, I'm gonna plug your work right now since uh, yeah. <laughs> um, but that was oh, a that was a post apocalyptic romance that was really cool and. And I know, I mean, you you know, as an aspiring creator, well, or I, I shouldn't say aspiring creator because I have, you know, put out a short story and I'm working on other projects. But, 
you know, echoing what you said about it is a, like, there's no such thing as an overnight success, especially in comics, and it takes a long time. But I will, I want to commend you, though, like, you have made really great strides in the last year, even though a lot of stuff is behind the scenes. You know, you've been able to table at conventions and um, put out that book and a couple other stories and whatnot. Well, I, I appreciate that. And I, I, I am proud, like I said, I'm proud of the work I've been doing. It's just been very weight yeah, and, it's... and see as things develop. But like I, I may, and I'm waiting to see, because right now it's interesting to see that Kickstarters currently are still doing pretty well. That's we, good. I had a Kickstarter planned for about a month or so from now. So we'll see how the projects are sitting by then. Excuse me. But, you know, it, it's digital seems like the way. Um, and like currently all of the books I've, published that I have the full rights to are on gumroad.com slash Jordan Elseka. All of my PDFs are set to pay what you want, so you can get them for free if you'd like, just to have something to read, but you know, if you can pay me, I'd love some. <laughs> I need money, too. <laughs> but really, the books are there for free. It's it's that, That's a small thing, though. Cool. I, I was going to make sure that you mentioned that. That's awesome. Um, Kevin, uh, what have you been doing? Yeah, for sure. Okay, so in the last year, also been working a lot. Um, you know, I work for a media company that focuses on disabilities and rare diseases, and that's been really great. Um, and then, like Jordan, trying to balance, like, work with my creative pursuits. And, um, you know, similar to him, it's also a very slow process. And the unfortunate thing is, um, you know, it's still, well, it is, it's not canceled yet, but I am set to table at Heroes Con this year. Um, granted, that convention is one of many that's really up in the air. Um, because everything's canceled right now, and so I would not be surprised if it's canceled or at the least postponed. I feel safe guessing it's canceled. Yeah, it, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, which is unfortunate because um, I mean it's not you know the end, but um, that was where me and a team I'm working on with um, on a graphic novel uh, we were going to table for. The book is not finished yet, but it's one I've been working on really since that project um, began in like February of last year. So not long after we stopped recording. Um, it's a sci-fi romance that originally started as a short story that I pitched to an anthology. That anthology kind of fell through. Um, but I still really wanted to do something with this idea. And so um, I messaged our good friend Katie, who has been on the show before, um, and see if she wanted to write this into a longer story with me. And she agreed. We've been So we started working on it um, right around that time. And then... Um, thanks to Jordan, I connected with an artist named Ben Humanek, who, um, go check out his stuff. I'm going to plug his stuff as well. Um, he's got a graphic novel series called Waking Life that he wrote and illustrated, does some other commissions and projects as well. So creative wise, that book has taken up pretty much most of my time outside of work in the last year, um, writing other scripts and stuff as well, but that's been the only one that's like kind of been actually into, in production. So, um, I don't really have any announcements on it right now because, you know, our plan was Table at Heroes and then, um, you know, show excerpts of the book and maybe try to talk with publishers. And then I still have copies of the Corpus Anthology I was going to try to sell there, um, that kind of thing. But, you know, it's looking like that won't happen or at the least, you know, be postponed. But, you know, I mean, that's the state of the world right now. Um, with, there's also, there's plenty of conventions in the future. Um, so probably, you know, NC Comic Con is our next best bet and, Maybe by then the book will be closer to being finished. So, um, so yeah, that's been my main pursuit. And then done a lot of traveling, both between work and um, SMA stuff. Uh, so I've been to, in the last year, I've been to L.A., uh, Boston, and Philly. 
which I'm really glad I was able to do all those before the world decided to shut down. Um, so, yeah, and now that I've been on lockdown for uh, three weeks as of today, um, I've been, you know, watching a lot, reading. I'm, I should be writing more. I'm still writing, but I feel like I should be doing more since I have all the time in the world. But, um, but that's been the, that's another struggle of creators right now is like finding that motivation in light of all this. So, no, it's, uh, you yeah, can't, you can't force anything. You yeah. Relax if that's what you need. Cause it's sure. wild time. It is. It indeed it is. But Hey, it, you know, stuff like this really helps and being part of communities and all that. So, um, so yeah, that's what a little bit of uh, in my life in the last year and looking forward to talking today. Beautiful. Beautiful. Cool. Um, well, that gets everybody up to date with where we are uh, as of the last year or so. Um, and uh, we've decided the way we're going to structure this episode today is we're going to talk about um, two or three big things that we've kind of been checking out or really liked in the last month or so. Um, we, some people may have one or two others that they want to mention, um, but, um, but I'm going to keep mine to, to a, a relatively short list myself. Um, and then we're going to talk about Bloodshot. Um, so Bloodshot is a movie that matters a little more to us maybe than a lot of other people, it seems, um, unfortunately. Um, but it is the first um, major motion picture from Valiant Entertainment. Um, and it, it stars Vin Diesel, obviously. And um, what's that dude's name? Guy Pierce. In, uh, Guy Pierce. Yeah. Yeah, Guy Pierce and others. Um, but, but um, but but anyway, it was you know co-produced by the previous CEO of Valiant Entertainment, who also um, you know was the person to resurrect or one of the people to resurrect Valiant, if I'm not mistaken, Kevin. Is that yeah, he was Dinesh. Um, codename Nerd Boss. That's his like uh, that's the identity he uses a lot on social media and at conventions, but really great guy. And yes, he was kind of the spearheaded the Valiant reboot, um, in 2012. And so, and is what led to media projects like this. And so now, now the company's actually was, was sort of done in a hostile takeover, something like that. And other people own it, but he was still kept on as producer on projects. So he was like the, I think it said C dot P dot a, I don't really know what that means. It's something to do with production. Um, Jordan might know better than me, but, um, (laughs) No, anyway, or PGA, maybe. PGA, it's just, I actually, I should know what that oh, stands for. Producers Guild of America. Yes, yes, thank you. Yeah, yeah. yeah, but I don't know why they say that instead of produced by. Anyway. Yeah, but yeah, he, um, he funded and got it together and everything, but yeah. Okay, all right. Um, but anyway, so uh, for those reasons, as well as the fact we've been big fans of Valiant for a long time here, um, we were all pretty excited just about the prospect of Valiant on the big screen. I'm not going to speak for everybody and say we were really excited about the Bloodshot movie in particular. I know Kevin was. Yeah. Um, I, I certainly was to some extent. Jordan, I'll let you talk about that You know, when we get there. But um, essentially, it's, it's something that's been on our radar for a while. Um, the movie did not end up going to theaters longer than, what, like a week or two before not, theaters shut down? Not even a week. Like a it, 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. So it opened on a time at all. It, it opened on a Thursday video. night and theaters closed that Tuesday. It went to vi- uh, video on demand um, for 20 bucks. Um, Kevin uh, did the honors and, and we all got to see it. Um, and uh, and yeah, so now we've all seen Bloodshot and we can talk about it. So we're actually giving you a uh, an in theaters sort of movie review here <laughs> in the COVID epidemic. So that'll be pretty fun to go through. Um, so anyway, that is the run of show as we're planning on going. Um, who would like to start talking about some of the stuff they've been checking out lately? 
I can start too. Okay. Um, all right, I got one right here. Okay, so um, because of COVID and all that, I've been kind of like I've been checking out a lot on Disney Plus and Netflix. I really haven't been watching a lot of TV because for me personally, like if I start binging a show, it's gonna lead me to more depression and un- like non productivity. So I've been focusing more on movies and books and comics. Um, and so on Disney Plus recently, like I was showing some Pixar movies to my parents that they hadn't seen. But there was one that um, I really wanted to check out that I'd seen before a long time ago, but I was really interested um, in checking out again since it's been so long. And that is The Black Cauldron, which is one of the lesser known animated films from Disney um, that was... On Blu-ray. You, you have it on Blu-ray? No, it's still not on Blu-ray. Oh, it's still. Oh. Dang, that's crazy. I know, yeah. No, it, and I'll get to that in just a sec. It, um, yeah, no, it was an 80s movie that... Um, it did very poorly at the box office, and it was... Dur- I read into it a little bit on Den of Geek, and it was during this time where the CEO of Disney at the time, um, Ron Miller, who was Walt Disney's stepson, he took over the company, and he wanted to move things in a darker direction, and he wanted to capitalize on the uh, Star Wars and do more sci-fi projects. Um, he did a, mo- a live-action movie called The Black Hole, which is one of the most expensive and controversial uh, movies in Disney's history because it was the first PG rated movie. It was a super big budget and ultimately it also did terribly at the box office, but it has become a cult classic. The Black Cauldron is, I would say, very much along the lines of Lord of the Rings in the um, much more dark adult fantasy. It's also PG um, and it's about um, this group of unlikely heroes who are trying to, des- to destroy the Black Cauldron and keep it away from the hands of the Horned King. Um, and it has a style that is very reminiscent, especially if um, anyone's ever seen the 1978 animated Lord of the Rings um, and, and by Ralph Bakshi. Um, and it has that kind of style. But um, but it was critically panned and it was not well received. Um, revisiting it, I really loved it. Um, it's I mean, I'm not going to go out and say it's the best Disney characters of all time or anything, but I like it for... You know, I mean, of course, as a big Lord of the Rings fan, I definitely... Wait, what was that you said? What was that you said, Kevin? They're the best Disney characters of all? No, 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 no. They are not the best Disney <laughs> characters. Know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it is... I'm not going to deny that um, the characters are fairly one-note, and, you know, it's not the best story out there. But for me, it was just one of those just really entertaining ones that, again, I guess it's because it's so different from a lot of the other Disney classics. It's not whimsical. It definitely pushed things in a darker direction. There are there's a supporting character who dies. Granted, there's something else that happens with that at the end. But there's you know it, they were able to push boundaries, make it more appealing to fans of dark fantasy. And there are some images and animation um, that really stood out to me. So that's one I really enjoyed, and I think it's worth revisiting. Um, but yeah, like Jordan said, it's not even on Blu-ray. It's definitely fallen to the wayside, but I remember seeing it once as a kid, remembering tidbits, but not much. And so that was one that was a lot of fun to revisit. And I don't know, if you have Disney+, Plus, I'd recommend it. Um, you may agree with the masses and think, think it's terrible, but in my opinion, I, I quite enjoyed it. You ever see it, Jordan? I have not. Um, it, honestly, I'm, I'm, I would like it to come to Blu-ray because I want to... I, I would like to have all the Disney movies on Blu-ray and it's weird to me that they haven't released it. Cause it's not like it's, it's not like it's offensive or has big issues like that. Like song of the South. It's just mm-hmm. a poorly regarded movie. And it's not even a super old one. Like all of their 
compilation films from the like 40s but right. you know it's 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 really i think it is the most recent disney animated canon film that is unavailable yeah and that's just wild well and another crazy thing about it is i was reading into it and um when and it, it, it was it took a long time to get made and there was writers coming in and out and um when they finally showed a cut to one of the executives at disney he said it was too controversial to be released and he went straight to the editing room and cut out about 11 minutes of material that was lost forever. So not only is it not on Blu-ray, but like the final product is still not what the original creators had in mind, uh, you know, because there were um, some even more graphic images and uh, they had, and uh, oh, by the way, John Hurt plays the voice of the Horn King, the villain, and he gives a phenomenal performance. So even like what I was watching a YouTube, the what? What year? 1980 I'm going to look it up. Um 3 or 4 maybe? I'm yeah, sure. I want to say 84, but um but yeah. Um sorry, I have my keyboard off, but I'll look it up in a sec. But yeah, so The Black Cauldron was one of my first picks and um yeah, I one I disagree with many people on. I think it's quite entertaining and worthy of a watch. Word. Jordan, what you got on deck, man? Um Animal Crossing. Okay. All right. Let's hear about it, man. Um, what is, what is uh, so? How long? I let me walk you through this because I'm super curious. Um, how long ago did it come out? Uh, it came out just uh, about two weeks ago, twelve days ago from now. I forget the exact date. The twentieth. Have you, have you still right. completely refrained from time traveling? Yeah. Awesome. Um, right. yeah. What, what's no. the adventure been like? you know it's been a slow progress every day it's like there's daily things to do in terms of progressing the island um getting the museum getting the tailor shop building campsite getting new movers or new um, residents to move into the island uh building bridges and inclines um and yeah it's just uh it's just a lot of that um and you know getting cool things getting clothes doing design i mean it's a life sim game so it's very much just a relaxing thing and you can grind like I've, I've had especially early on the first couple of days it was like there's not a whole lot to do every day um although early on it was like there were a bunch of bugs and fish to catch that i hadn't caught yet right so there was a lot of that um although but now you have in. almost everything or oh no i only have like i mean i got everything that went away in march but like the bugs and the fish follow seasonal progression so like there are fish that today is the first day they've shown up because they weren't available in march but they're available in april through september or whatever oh Um, okay and so i i think i had like about 25 fish and 25 bugs roughly in that area there's 80 species of each in the game okay Um, okay so you got a chunk yeah, but I mean, that's because a lot of the really common stuff, there are things that appear year-round, but then there are things that are only seasonal. There are some that only appear in certain fishing locations. There are some that only appear in the rain. Um, there are super rare ones. So it's, you know, it's kind of a calming thing to do. And I like running around. And then you can sell stuff for money. Um, getting fruit from other islands that you visit is nice. It's, it, Go ahead. No, I mean, it's just... It's Animal Crossing. I mean, it's it's fun for the same reason something like The Sims is fun. It's You just enjoy decorating your house and making it look cute and getting cool clothes and meeting and talking with your neighbors every day. And it's 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 just fun and relaxing, and I've been having a blast playing it. Um, I've played it every day since it came out. I 
the Switch after 10 days will show you how long you've played a game, and I'm at 60 hours or more, so I'm in that range. Um, That's cool. So, hey, yeah, ask- I've been averaging about five hours a day. That's a <laughs> lot. Me, so easy. Let me ask you something. The um, the I was watching... I did like, I'm going to tell you guys a funny story. So I did this uh, weird, weird little deep dive. And I do this about every two months or so into um, like this time it was Mixer, but in the past it's been Twitch. So those online things where you can like, you know, see, you you know, everybody knows what Twitch is, but um, the essentially, if you go to the big channels, like they're well-produced and there's people on there and they're just like, welcome to the, welcome to the pirate gang, you know, uh, you know, 69er fan or whatever. Um, that was a terrible name, but you know, thing, things like that. And, um, and, and, you know, they're all produced in slick, but if you go like dig a little deeper, holy shit, it's slice of life. Like you've never seen, man. Um, if you, have you guys ever done a deep dive into looking at some of the stuff where it's like P five people are watching, you ever done any of that, Jordan? No, I, I don't spend much time on Twitch. I, I spend zero time watch. on there. I spend zero yeah, time on but I went just for a, just for a, every couple months. I'll go deep dive, and I saw some crazy shit this last time. <laughs> but one of the a lot of people were on there playing um, Half Life uh, Alex, which was cool. So I got to see like kind of what that's like. Um, I went to see um, Animal Crossing and just see like what the hell people do in that game, right? Anymore, I know I'm I'm being ornery and old. Like I know what people do in that game. I played it on GameCube. I liked it at the time. Now I'm just kind of like annoying about it. But it's, I mean, I understand that that's a great game. It's tons of depth. People love it, blah, blah, blah. Um, But I saw them doing this weird thing on there where they were, like, he was, like, building a certain room, like, to be a certain, according to certain specifications. Was that because when people move to the island, they have certain desires? How does that work? Well, for three of the houses, it was uh, building plots of land to sell and it was like they needed to be pre-furnished homes so you had to build specific items for each house that you built like peach um, chairs and stuff yeah and, um, and, and it was relative yeah did you do no, that i did that yeah yeah i had i had a set of like wish list things that i had to build on the workbench and then put in the house or around the house and uh, yeah that was part of it to get people to move oh okay and that's what's that once a month you get that or what how does that what is the cadence of that well, you start with two other residents, um, and then you can, if you have room on your island when you visit Mystery, or the Nook, if you use a Nook, Nook ticket to go to a, a separate island to, like, gather resources, sometimes there'll be a villager there that you can ask to come move to your island, and if you have space or if you have a plot of land reserved, they will do that. Um, another way is if you have a campsite, which you get after your first five residents, if someone comes to the campsite and you want them to, you can ask them to move to the island. Um, the thing with Animal Crossing is that there are dozens of villagers, but the maximum you can have on your island is 10. Um, and they move. You can have them move out. They, they might move out on their own if you don't you know, go, go a while without playing. Um, then you just can talk to them every day. You can give them gifts, and they'll give you stuff back. Um, oh, okay. Uh, like, the main quote-unquote goal of the game is to beautify your island and get it to a high enough rating that you can, like throw a concert and have KK Slider show up. And I mean, it's a very soft goal. It's like your goal is to get to like a five-star island eventually. And, you know, you get things as you go. So like the terraforming, when you get to three stars, you can terraform your island, which I haven't gotten to yet. Which means make it bigger. No, uh, it just means you can like 
change the rivers and like dig ground or dig new hills and such. Uh, doesn't terraforming also mean like making the water like go further out, like pop, make your island edges longer? No. Okay, so your island is always a fixed size. Yeah, the island is the island. Oh, okay. unless it's not, I'm pretty sure it isn't. But I mean, again, I have not. Like, my goal was not to, like, min-max and read up. I've just been playing to play. And occasionally I'll look things up. Like I said, I looked up what fish were leaving before the end of March uh, so that I could make sure I caught them. But uh, other than that, it's just been uh, real chill. Um, today started the first um, seasonal event. So they're updating it throughout the year, which is another reason. I mean, time travel's there if you want to catch all the fish and whatnot. But, uh, like, for me, or speed things up. But, like, for me, the main thing they're doing is they're adding the seasonal events over the course of the next year in real time. So even if I time traveled to Christmas, there's no Christmas event right now. Oh, that's cool. Um, that's smart. That, so that's like the, the advent of the live game genre merging with Animal Crossing in a really nice way. Yeah. So the... Um, the event right now is Bunny Day. There's a bunch of uh, bunny-specific recipes and things you can build. Um, it lasts for the next 12 days to when Bunny Day officially happens. And in the meantime, there are all of these eggs you can get that are a new resource that you can use to craft things. Oh, um, that's cool. Does that, does that mean that the compendium of total number of things to craft increases? Or do you use like the eggs or whatever to make stuff you could already make in a different way? No, it increases. So, like, the way the way recipes work is you start with basically nothing, and then as you play through the game, Tom Nook might give you stuff. You might be able to buy recipes from the stores or from the Nook stop. Other residents will give you recipes. They wash up in bottles on the shore. You might Damn. think of a recipe. Just recipes are coming at you, man. Yeah, I mean, there's just a lot. Um, I think the total number of game items is, like, somewhere around 800. Okay. Um which is modest compared to some of the past ones, but you can also customize stuff in this to change colors. Um, and it's going to yeah. grow. It's going to grow. Yeah, no, it's it's just a really fun game so far. It's going to grow over the next year, and uh, I've just been having a blast. Like I said, it it's very easy to play while I do other stuff, um, or sometimes I focus. This is, the, this is one of the first Switch games I've spent a significant amount of time playing it on the TV because it looks so pretty. Oh, uh, well, that's cool. So yeah, that's been the big gaming thing recently is um, Animal Crossing. I have some other games I'm looking forward to, um, putting some time into, but for now that's been like the big thing. Um, so I wanted to tell you guys two quick little uh, slices of life from uh, Mixer. So um, first up, I, I, went to, I, I thought nobody ever goes to the quote music channel on Mixer, so I just went in there to see what the hell that was. And, I mean, the music channel on Twitch might be pretty built out, but on Mixer, dude, it's busted. So, like, I went into this one, and it was a guy, and he was pretty legit. He was one of those, like, wedding DJ guys who, like, has, like, all this equipment he buys. But he called it, like, Friday Night DJ Celebration or whatever. And it's him and, like, three people in the room and me. And dude has his full DJ setup with all kinds of lighting and effects. And it's, like, in his garage. There's no people there. He's just got all of his gear set up and reflecting, like, like lights and, 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 and images on the wall. And it's like, bah, 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 and, he's like and he's up there dancing and shit. And he's just like having a great time. It was crazy. It felt so voyeuristic and weird. But then here's the real kicker. And this one is relevant to what's going on in the world right now. So I go to this one channel 
and there's this dude, and he kind of reminds me when I was younger and I was like singing songs in my room about girls that I liked that didn't like me or that I didn't think like me or whatever. Um, super emo guy, but he's got like a keyboard, and he's and he's got the camera on him. He's he's like the shaggy headed, maybe twenty five year old geek kid, all kinds of tech all around him, but he's got like psychedelic effects on the screen, and he's. And he's got like reverb on his voice and like this key piano thing going. And he starts singing this song. He's like, boom, 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 boom. And then he goes, fuck you, fuck you, Corona. And he starts singing, fuck you, Corona, for like 25 minutes. It was crazy. And it just shows you the kind of shit people are going through, man. It was insane. And dude was dead serious. This was the emoist fuck you, Corona song you ever heard. Anyway, that's that's my little uh, a little tale for you guys today. Um, let's see, uh, Kevin. Uh, wait, I'm trying to think. I just lost track. I got so wrapped up in that Corona story. No worries. Um, we like I gave one pick and Jordan gave his, so you can share one thing now. Okay. Can, yeah. All right, my turn. Sure. Right. So um, I am going to talk about westworld i think oh really okay I, have, I have you guys been checking out westworld i need to i heard no, this I season haven't. is a lot better i know you haven't and it pisses me off i know jordan's not going to i do want to I, and i've heard this season is a lot better than two from what so i So here's the deal with with westworld and I'll, I'll keep it brief so um the second first season of westworld in my opinion is I mean, it's not perfect. It's got some dull moments, but overall, it's a pretty masterful season of television. Uh, giving it a number belies its overall value. I think it's just masterful. Um, season two has like four episodes that are really good. Um, everything else in that season is, I think, makes a really big mistake, and it and it thinks that it, I've said this a lot of times before, so I won't I won't belabor it. But it thinks it can it thinks it can have its cake and eat it too. In other words, it can allow somebody like Dolores to change around one a host's functioning and, and basically turn it so it cares or doesn't care. And then it asks me to give a shit when like random hosts that can be, you know, their emotions can be turned up or down are in pain. Like they're not really in pain though, because you can just turn a dial anyway. So that basically what that does is by definition, it cuts any, it undercuts any emotional value that any of like the intense stuff going on with the hosts um, could, could have. So that's the big problem I have with season two. Um, also, it's a big bloodbath the whole time, and I don't want to watch like bloody scenes of people getting cut and losing blood and cutting into their interface so they can. I mean, it's just gory for gore's sake, and it, there's just no real point. But I mean, that was the first season was super gory. Yeah, it was, but it wasn't a slaughter fest. Like for example, at the end of the first season, they they talk about. Like, we're now free, and we're going to destroy them. Every single one of them is, like, kind of the way Dolores leaves it at the end of season one. And then um, when you heard there were creators talking about it, they were just like, um, yeah, so that first season was, like, all about, like, the hosts, like, you know, figuring out, you know, who they are and identity. This next season is about freedom and slaughter or something like that. And it was true, man. I mean, if you thought that first season was bloody, the second season was, like, I mean, hearts were ripped out of chests multiple times in one episode, grabbed in cloth and dripping and bloody. And, I mean, it was just the most it, – it's just so graphic and so unnecessary and so often – um, and then there was the samurai. This, oh, there was the samurai world episode that they literally just like replayed um, the pilot episode, a sequence from the pilot that was in the Western world, and then they replicated that. 
for the samurai one and just kind of choreographed it in the exact same manner and it was probably more graphic too yeah and and there was some wonderful episodes in it like oh yeah one about yeah. trying to recreate that one delos that yes. was brilliant yes was one of the best episodes the show's ever had yeah and Maybe the last episode was pretty good, but they basically just took the puzzle box idea and like, and I don't, I'm stealing other people's ideas when I say this, but essentially they just got pissed off. Westworld creators got pissed off that everybody guessed what was going to happen in season one. And they were like, yeah, so we're going to make season two indecipherable motherfuckers. That's basically what they did. So much so that the, do, you, do you guys remember that Rick roll trick they played at the beginning of season two? Yeah, I do. No. Yeah. Yeah. So what they did was they uh, they they got they basically announced two weeks before the season started. They said, "Okay, guys, Westworld fans, here's what we're gonna do for all of the hardcore fans who are all into like mystery boxes and figuring out the secrets and all of that. We're gonna do a 13 minute video, and if enough votes get voted here, we're gonna release a 13 minute video running through the entire plot line of season two." front to back we're just gonna we're gonna tell you everything that happens and so of course everybody on reddit voted for it and so it got you know hundreds of thousands of votes or something so um, the day comes and the, it starts out and it's and it's very serious and it's the video appears and it's um um bernard and it says bernard walks on a beach he looks up as if to wonder if he's really there or what time he might be in and then he goes fur, 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 what? And then it takes you, like, away from that scene to, like, the, uh, I don't know, what do you call the place where Maeve uh, and, and her, the brothel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. the brothel. And then, then uh, somebody on the, and then uh, Dolores and another one of the hosts is on the piano, and they start playing Never Gonna Give You Up by Rick, uh, <laughs> what Rick, Rick what? Astley. Rick Astley. So they start playing that. So essentially it was a Rick roll for their fans basically saying, you think we're going to tell you what's going to happen on this whole season? Come on, we would never do that. Essentially, though... You know, okay, so for what it's worth, that was, you know, a fun joke, a fun little way to play with the audience. But also in a reverse way, it's a very it's a clear admission that they were kind of pissed off. Or at least that they acknowledged that it was a quote unquote problem that people were guessing the plot of their show. So there's that. Um season two was you know, I think it got okay reviews. There's a lot of I mean, it's incredibly expensive, beautifully crafted television. The acting is really good. My biggest problem with the whole season, as I will always say, um, is is Dolores um, turning that guy's uh, in, you know emotions down? Uh, really, really, really turned me on the series in, incredibly. Um, she does get her comeuppance for that later, thank God. Um, but still, that sucks. Anyway, fast forward to season three, and season three is is beautiful. Season three is wonderful television, especially the first episode. I would say, Jordan, if you're on the fence about checking out the show again i would just dive back into season three i was telling jordan a little bit about this on the phone i i know you know i'm not gonna do that you're not even gonna check out season th three episode one not without watching season two and the rest oh. of the season one. Oh, okay that would bother you it would yeah yeah i'm that way too i didn't know um anyway it's it's season three is though the point i'm trying to make is season three is that is that kind of standalone and restarter-ish in a lot of ways um, I won't go into the details of what happened for people that don't want to be spoiled, but I will say that it does introduce brand new characters. It does take place in Neo Los Angeles, and um, it's essentially um, the air opportunity um, to the creator's opportunity to um, basically do their modern day sci-fi show. 
um, well, I should say near future sci-fi show. And it's a lot of the ideas that they were talking about in Person of Interest or Jonathan Nolan was talking about in Person of Interest, um, you know, about AI and predicting the future and all of those kind of concepts really turned up to 11 or maybe even 12. Um, there's this new um, sort of Google of the future megacorp, um, and it's basically turned the world into a pretty miserable place to live. Um, this is the world that any hosts that may have escaped Westworld, I won't say who, come into. Um, and then it's also the world where um, <laughs> Jesse from Breaking Bad um, is, uh, is, now, is now in. And um, he's been added to the cast. He's, uh, he's fantastic, of course, because pretty much everything he does um, is, is great, except for Need for Speed and maybe that show. What was that show on uh, Hulu? Uh, the way or something, you know what I'm talking about? The path. Yeah. The path. Um, but anyway, uh, he's, he's really good in it. But the thing that's really cool about it is there's this, there's so many trappings of the future. And one of their coolest ideas is this app. It's called Rico. And it is essentially, um, app, like an appified version of, um, of like petty crime. So it's like a petty crime Uber. So you go on there and it says you're ready to make money, motherfucker. And then like you like select a crime you're willing to commit. And then it says, okay, we'll pay you $1,200 to like take part in this crime. You go take part in the crime. And then afterwards you say, all right, crime committed. And they're like, you made money, motherfucker. And then it goes cha-ching and your money clicks up. And then you walk off into the sunset. So criminals have been sort of anonymized in this new world where you don't even know who's – like if you're a criminal and you want to hire people to do a job for you – you don't even necessarily need to know who committed the crime. They're just doing it anonymously, like in this in this app. It's very, very cool. There's all kinds of cool ideas like that going on. Um, episode one was all about the future. Episode two is sort of a weird diversion that's back inside a Westworld park, or, or so it appears. Um, and then episode three is back to the future again. And uh, it seems like this... Uh, this, this season is, is just on track to be awesome. Plus, they cut it down to just eight episodes instead of ten, which I think is a good idea. That's smart. If they think, yeah. it, if they think it only needs eight, it probably only needs six, you know? Um, so, anyway, Westworld's rocking. Really loving that. And that's my pick. Who's next? Nice. I'll go back around. Yeah, we can circle around again. Um, so, I'll dive into comics for a minute here. Uh, so, my first one. I know I've talked about it on the show at some point, but it's been a while. But uh, Black Hammer is a Dark Horse book I really love um, by Jeff Lemire and Dean Ormston. And I don't, like, so the most recent volume um, and collection that, uh, a six-issue trade, it seems to be the end of the series, but there's also a very intricate world-building in this book that he could easily do more if he wanted. And um, it's also been picked up for TV projects, so it's one of those, it has a definitive ending for the main characters that we've gotten to know, but there's also ways I could easily see him doing another series. Um, but anyway, for just a quick summary, you know, Black Hammer is about a team of Golden Age superheroes who, in their final battle with um, their nemesis, Anti-God, who is basically like a Thanos, Dark Side kind of character, um, they fight him and their leader, the greatest of them, named Black Hammer, dies in that battle, and the rest of the heroes get banished to this farmland um, and are unable to escape from it, and they're not really sure where they are in time, and 
Um, so that's kind of how this concept of the story began. It's like, what if Captain America, Captain Marvel, and Martian Manhunter were trapped on this farmland together and they have to kind of adapt to being normal humans and putting their superhero lives behind them. And that's how the book starts. I can't really say too much about the plot from then on because there are so many twists and um, really cool sci-fi concepts that come about throughout the series, especially about midway through. Um, But uh, for those interested, there are four trades and also one other book that has three short stories and a sort of encyclopedia that um, Jeff Lemire put together of all the characters. Um, but it's just a really fantastic book. I mean, I, Rich, I think you especially would love it. It has, oh, yeah. um, I mean, it's just all, it, it's all over you. I mean, because it's not like to call, I mean, it's a superhero book, but it's much more um, sci-fi and like the concepts that it plays with, with time travel, reality, all these things. I mean, just what it means to be human. Um, oh, all these man. ideas are all there, you know? And so, um, so I really recommend checking it out. I was very satisfied with the ending. And again, I could see it going on in another, probably not with those main three characters, but again, there's so much world building that he could do kind of another spinoff, um, because Black Hammer's daughter is another prominent character in the series, um, who shows up at the end of the first volume and then is pretty central throughout the rest of the series. They could easily do something with her. There's a lot of ways they could go, but if this is the ending, I'm very satisfied with it. Um, and I highly recommend that series. I mean, it's a, and, um, not just the writing, but the art is phenomenal for several reasons. Um, because in the main present day story, Dean Ormston utilizes a very, um, gritty realism to his art, but anytime they go into the past and they show their lives and, um, with, as superheroes, it, uh, has this very golden age feel to it. And he merges those styles so well together. Um, and there are other guest artists throughout too, but he's the main one. And yeah, it's just, uh, I don't know, like I, it's just one of those, it's entertaining, really provoke, prov- like thought provocative and, um, thought provoking, sorry. Um, and it's just really well drawn out characters. So I cannot recommend that series enough. I know I'm a huge Jeff Lemire fanboy, but it just, that's, I think one of his finest works. Awesome. Um, <laughs> What you got, Jordan? Honestly, I was looking through my Twitter just trying to think, and I'm like, I got so little. It feels like that's even worth talking about. It's um, all right. What are you What are you watching? What are you checking out? What's interesting? I mean, watch wise, we've been watching a lot of Bob's Burgers. Um, catching up on that, we've been. Jeez. Uh, hey, that's a good show. <laughs> okay. Um. It's arguably one of the best. It's arguably, yeah, like one of the best shows on TV. It's just, you know, I don't have a lot to say about it. It's been on for ten years, so it's like most people know that by now. Mm-hmm. Um, hey, Jordan, do you, if about a mind, I did want to get your thoughts on Onward because that was the last movie I saw in theaters before everything shut down. Um, I think that was. I keep forgetting if that's the last movie I saw in theaters or not. Um, it was fine. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, it wasn't Pixar's best. I felt like it was, um, you know, serviceably entertaining. I mean, I, I, Pixar is the sort of company where even their lesser films are still better than a lot of other things. Right, they still right. treat the audience with respect and um, like an understanding that they're going to be able to keep up with the plot, which I, I know is saying a lot. But like if you watch a lot of kids movies, they don't have that expectation. Um, but yeah, I just it didn't move me the same way. Um you know, uh, 
granted, I mean, that's a general consensus. So like a lot of people feel that way, but yeah, uh, I know some people really liked it and were moved by it. You know, I'm, uh, father narratives don't typically do a lot for me. Um, just generally, um, and brother narratives don't do a lot for me because I don't have a brother. So uh, there was that, but I also felt like it wasn't the most well-developed in terms of like progression. And it was just missing something to get it across the finish line to make the world feel a little more exciting, to make the narrative hit a little harder. Um, uh, yeah, no, I, it was fine. Sure. Yeah, I, I mean, um, similar feelings there. I just, I liked it. I, I, I guess the thing I did really enjoy about it was the world building because they did a really good job of getting across this concept that these are all fantasy creatures from this other world, but that world has been transformed by modern technology and magic has become obsolete. So I like the little details they interjected throughout there, like the winged creatures who don't know how to fly. And then um, that like um, one, what was once this kind of like mystical tavern got turned into basically a Chuck E. Cheese's uh, or Chuck E. Cheese place. And so things like that were really fun. So anyway, I mean, similar feelings. It was entertaining. It wasn't great, but I I was pleasantly surprised because I didn't, I guess the trailers didn't like fully sell me on it and it was better than that. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, it was just, it was all right. Um, I'm looking forward to Soul whenever that. I really want to see that. That, yeah. Uh, But yeah, other than that, um, yeah, I mean, I've been watching a lot of horror movies, like old kind of schlocky horror movies. Um, one thing I've gotten really into is physical media again, in terms of like Blu-rays and these like high def remastered re-releases of old horror movies from uh, labels like Severn Films and Vinegar Syndrome. Nice. Um, so I've been watching a lot of movies like that, um, ordering them or whatnot. Uh, and not, I mean, ordering now because can't leave the house. Um, like I recently watched all three Black Christmas movies. Oh, really? Oh, really? Different reasons. <laughs> I saw your um, tweets about that. That's it. Can you rank them real quick, or do you have like? Uh, twenty nineteen was my favorite. Interesting. I really okay. liked it. I thought it was really well made. Um, I've liked all the films from Sofia Tokal I've seen, and I thought this one was really good. And yeah, some of the messaging is blunt, but it's nothing that's like crazy over the top and also i thought it had a lot of subtle depth um the original was also really good i think it's a little slow and is maybe just kind of a of its time in terms of the pacing i don't i don't go in like the 80s is kind of my sweet spot 80s and on because film if you look at film history film shots and cuts have gotten faster and faster over the years i feel like the 80s is my sweet spot where i like how to linger on scenes but things kind of move at a quick pace um so when you get back into the 70s, and there are a lot of 70s movies I really like, but also 70s, 60s stuff, it, you can see it evolving from like the 30s, 40s, but it was still very much like stage plays a lot of the time and a lot of like long pauses and a lot of lingering. And I think Black Christmas has that a little bit. It's it's a, I, I want to say it's like an hour, it's either an hour 40 or an hour 50. I'm always an advocate for hour 30 for horror. I know there, there are definitely horror movies that make longer run times work. Um, but I think pretty generally it's like a lot of, uh, time that could be spent otherwise, but I like the original Black Christmas. The third Black X, Black Xmas from 2006 is objectively a terrible movie. Um, studio mandated editing really chopped it up. So the first 30 minutes are real tough because 
it kind of cuts three different timelines together and things aren't really clear what's when or what's happening concurrent to other stuff, which kind of serves the plot a little, except the twist is pretty obvious. But it feels like if you gave the director, like, time to do a new cut of it, like for a, like if they ever released, it's never been released on Blu-ray. It's actually a casualty of HD DVD. It was given an HD DVD release. Um, what? <laughs> Well, yeah, there were a lot of movies that were released because of uh, the different uh, format, because during the format war of HD DVD versus Blu-ray. Um, which, by the way, Stop Skeletons from Fighting is one of my favorite YouTube channels. They have a great video on the format wars and how the push for streaming from Microsoft actually influenced it. And then they also have a video on the streaming wars and uh, of their like 2010s and Netflix and all that. It's really interesting stuff. But there are a few movies that were released, 2006, 2007, on HD DVD that then never got a Blu-ray release because, you know, they were bad movies or they didn't have a good reception. So it was like, well, why are we going to put a Blu-ray out? Nobody bought the HD DVD, you know. Um, but so it's not a good movie and a lot of people were mad. It's like remaking a classic. But it is it feels intentionally campy. And so it's like really over the top and cheesy, but it feels like purposefully so and it has a pretty solid tone throughout and it moved at a clip like i checked the time and i was like oh wow we're already 50 minutes through this thing and it moved and it had some fun kills um and it's really stupid but intentionally so or at least that's the way i felt about it and also one of those movies that retroactively is full of like now famous people um you know these are people that were getting their start in 2006 so like uh lacey chabert is in it um, Michelle Trachtenberg was probably the most famous person at the time. Katie Cassidy is in it. Uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead is in it. Oh, wow. So it's just like retroactively, it has a lot of actresses you probably really like now. Um, so it was the worst one, but it was still super entertaining. Um, and I mean, that's, that's kind of me. I love watching these old movies because even when I don't like the movie, a lot of these Blu-rays come packed with special features because of, um, uh, now, not that one. I had to stream that because it's, again, it's not available on Blu-ray in America. But, uh, you know, both of the, the Black Christmas DVDs had a bunch of special features. I liked watching them. Um, I like watching movies and, and getting that movie history because it really is when you see, seeing how a movie is made can be more interesting than the movie itself. That's why yeah. I want to get um, The Rise of Skywalker on Blu-ray. I don't like that movie, but there's a two-hour documentary on the making of it on the Blu-ray. Sure. Um which is unheard of for like it's a major a story release. It's a big story. It's supposedly really excellent. Um, yeah, so I'm looking forward to that. But um, the only other thing in the same similar vein is I've been watching a lot of um, anthology sci-fi horror shows. So like CBS All Access is free right now. I'm finishing up the first season of The Twilight Zone, finally. Um, and I've been watching the 90s Outer Limits on uh, Amazon Prime slash Hulu, depending on what device i'm watching it with so yeah that's that's been like the main things i've been doing recently really quick hit stories that i can watch while i'm doing other stuff sure sure very cool um am i up again yeah (laughs) yeah okay all right well i'm gonna just say i've been watching devs um jordan have you gotten to devs yet kevin have you gotten to devs yet i'm going to i like i I knew you were gonna talk about this so yeah but yeah dude I, I will say it again. This is the new Alex Garland TV series. It is. It couldn't have a better pedigree. 
I know it's a dark time in our world right now, and this is a dark show, but holy shit, is it good. Um, anyway, it is, um, it is a story about, as you've probably seen in the trailers, it's a story about um, a sort of a, a dark, deep, dark uh, section of, of a Google-like company called Amaya um, in the San Francisco uh, Bay Area. Um, the, uh, he's not really that elusive. He's pretty in your face. You can kind of see him, you know, he's not like, it's not like, uh, you never see him or people never see the guy. Um, but it, there's a, you know, a creator, um, of the, of the company and his daughter died in a way, you know, you find out very quickly. Um, and he essentially is using technology in some creepy ways that may or may not have something to do with his dead daughter. Um, and that's kind of the setup from the beginning. Um, this, uh, the main character is this, um, uh, woman, young girl who works at Amaya. Um, she is dating and very much in love with this, uh, Russian guy who also works, um, at Amaya. And, um, he gets brought into the special sort of black ops section of the company to, uh, to work on the special devs project. And you get shown very quickly that it has something to do with predicting all life on earth using quantum computing. And that's kind of like in the first five, 10 minutes of the show. Um, and the thing that's crazy about this show, it's, you know, it's a series with lots of like twists and turns, or at least that's what you think, but really it ends up being a lot less about that. Um, which doesn't really bother me in this case because it's so interesting with its ideas. It's much more an exploration of quantum computing and, you know, can you really predict what's going to happen in life and, and the idea of like multiverse theory and, and, and Everett's theory and, and stuff like that, that is all really interesting, like thought provoking stuff. It also uses visual elements in the show to sort of express a lot of that stuff. So if we're talking about the multiverse, you might see a character like, and you'll see like 15 permutations of what they could have done on the screen. So it's very visually arresting and beautiful and interesting. Um, it's got characters that you will get very, very invested in and really enjoy. And it's essentially Alex Garland doing what he did, um, especially in Ex Machina and then also in um, Annihilation and now in this. Um, he just gets a longer time to do it and he gets to play a lot more interesting tricks. I'm not saying it's a perfect show, but it's a very thought-provoking show. It's a really brilliant show. And it's one where, like I said, you find out immediately what's going on. Um, something happens in the first episode and you find out exactly what that was right then. It's not one of those shows that's trying to hide itself from you. In fact, a lot of these puzzle box type shows or shows that would typically be run in that fashion have moved away from that lately. Uh, Westworld's the same thing. It's not really holding its cards too close to the vest. There are some identities that you don't know of, but generally speaking, in Westworld that is, but generally speaking in both of these shows, the cards are on the table and you're just along for the ride, which is nice. Um, I would have thought that would bother me more, but in both of these shows, I'm really enjoying um, the journey uh, and very compelled to see what's going to happen next. So um, it's just been really cool. And it's also really cool to watch both of these shows from the perspective of, you know, thinking about what it would be like to try to create a show like this. I always think about, so you talked about watching making ofs and I, you know, I bought the um, Knives Out uh, uh, Blu-ray or 4K Blu-ray, just for the point of watching all the um, making of documentary stuff, because I'm fascinated by how you write a murder mystery, how you stage a murder mystery. What is the what is it? What goes into making the decisions that you make to make something interesting and compelling from beginning to end? That's what's really tricky. Because anybody can write a plot, 
but how do you make it like genuinely gripping, right? And so these shows yeah. are both examples of how you do that. Go ahead, Jordan. No, no, I was just saying I agree. Um, yeah. And that's and that's that. the thing about when you're when you're a creative or an aspiring creative is figuring out like what it would take to make something genuinely compelling. And so that's what I find really interesting about a lot of these shows is like, wow, I'm riveted by this, but I don't have the excuse of saying it's because I want to know who done it because I know who done it. So why is it that I'm riveted? And I really like to ask myself those questions. That's something that's been going on in my mind a lot as I watch a lot of media lately. No, devs is definitely one I think I know I'll really enjoy. I think I feel like I have hesitated to start it yet, just as you said, because it's a dark time in our world right now, and I've been comforted more by, you know, lighter stuff and old Disney Plus classics. Like, I watched Haunted Mansion last night, which is a movie I loved as a kid, um, and things like that. But I, I, I promise I will start it soon, and I really look forward to it. But, yeah. <laughs> hey, man, don't do it for me. Do it for yourself, bud. No, I do. One question I had about it. Do you know if it, because I know Alex Garland has done both original stuff and adaptations is it based on anything or is it completely original yeah totally his own yeah yeah. and the other thing that's cool about it is it's it's the opportunity to through characters in the story it's their opportunity to it's his opportunity to by the way he wrote and directed all the episodes wow so it's his opportunity to to really express ideas that he has and so he has one character in it um i don't know the name of the actor but he's like this older larger guy um but He's he's like the older guy in this in this world. They have all the generations represented inside the devs sort of, you know, subunit of development. And so there's like a really young kid who's like, a you know, super genius. There's a college age girl. Um, there's Ron Swanson. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> Nick Offerman. And there, yeah. 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 Nick Offerman. <laughs> um, and there's um, and there's this older guy. And he brings the perspective, and I think I mentioned this to you guys when I told you why I was so excited about this show, but another thing I've been thinking about a lot lately is this idea that, because I've met people, like I said, in this past year, I've spent a lot of my time at work and in the business world, and I'm in sales and computer sales. And so in the computer sales world, you see a lot of people that aren't really into art. And it's very hard for me to handle that emotionally, to see people that aren't into art. Um... Because I just don't, I just don't understand how your life cannot have art in it. How the only shows you could watch could be Real Housewives or, um, you know, sports. You know, I, I just don't. It's very hard for me to understand that, and, and that's fine. I don't mean to sound judgmental. It's just to think about a life or, or or something that's not tempered by a passion for art and music and beauty is just very hard for me to comprehend. Um, and so. This show actually, that main that character I mentioned brings that topic up. He's just like, you young people, and in this case he calls it young people, but you could say whatever. You don't understand jazz and you don't understand, you know, classic film. And you, if you don't understand these things, like you don't know what life's all about. And I love that concept. And so that's what's so great about devs. It gives, you know, Alex Carlin the opportunity to have a bunch of different characters that sort of symbolize different belief systems and have those belief systems come up against one another. It's really cool stuff. Very cool. Very cool. No, I, I look forward to checking it out. Yeah, man. Sweet. Um, I, it's on my list. It's just, yeah. <laughs> I got you, man. Corona. Yeah. Thank you, Corona. Yeah. Well, um, I'll touch on just a quick thing real quick before, uh, and then I don't know if we want to go around again with just one last one before we get to Bloodshot, but um, by the way, I looked up Black Cauldron. It was 1985, um, so we were close there, but... Um, one uh, one other thing I want to talk about real quick, and I just wrote a column about it for next week. Totally not sci-fi fantasy related, but I want to recommend nonetheless. 
Um, so I don't know if you guys have seen on Netflix the new documentary Crip Camp, um, but oh, this... I saw. It. I think I saw you put it on Twitter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So say Tiger King. <laughs> yeah. Oh my. Like, okay, I'm not even gonna get into Tiger King because all I've seen about it is tweets, and I still don't know what it is. Nor do I really want to after like seeing the <laughs> tweets. So. I don't watch. I don't want to watch those beautiful cats. In <laughs> no, I don't think I will be checking out Tiger King. Um, but real quick, yeah, Crip Camp. So this is one of the first movies in the Obama's Netflix deal um, that they're executive producers of. And it is a story about this summer camp in the 50s and 60s that was designed for teens with disabilities. And it's totally like a Woodstock style camp. Like, I mean, they're the um, you see the campers there, you know, playing rock music and smoking and engaging in romantic relationships, all of this. And um, and so the first part of the movie is about that. And, you know, it's narrated by um, some of the campers who are still living. It's also co-directed by one of them. And uh, they tell this story because it's really what led to the disability rights movement, because a lot of the people at that camp, both that were campers and counselors, they formed this community and um, they eventually were the ones to really pioneer the disability rights movement and which led to the Section 504 of the Rehabilitation Act. Um, And so that's what the second half of the movie explores. And it's really fascinating. Obviously, I have a personal connection to it, but I, it's something I would really recommend um, anyone to see because even as someone who does this stuff for a living and writes about, you know, my life with a disability and whatnot, there was so much I didn't know. Um, I knew tidbits about some of the stuff, but um, it was a really fascinating story and I never knew about this camp. And so um, it's something I think anyone will find really interesting, whether you, you know, are into documentaries or not. It just... It has a really energetic vibe to it. It's, um, you know, there are parts that are really shocking, others that are really inspiring. And so, um, yeah, I really recommend that. Um, and other than that, just, you know, comics that I've, I've touched on before, like Baby Teeth, you know, huge Donny Cates fans. I love that one. Batman Curse of the White Knight, which is a sequel to the White Knight comic, which I know I've talked about before. Um, so stuff like that. But, um, but yeah, that's mainly what, I, what was on my list. Awesome. Um, do we have anything else to uh, to discuss before we get into the main event? Um, I don't. I'm, I'm now. I'm now. I'm trying to like. I'm just trying to make sure I don't think of any. Oh, you know what? I we we we've been watching Ducktales. Oh, oh, nice, nice. Um, we finished up the first season. Uh, I really enjoy that show. It's it's a very different take on the original um the way it focuses a little more on like it's got a weird sort of like i mean they'd go on adventures but it ends up being like the big adventures they go on are like squabbles almost and it's like it's it's hard to describe but it's like it's it's like adventure in the mundane almost like one of the new villains is a tech guru guy um but i mean again a lot of the classic villains show up there's a lot of that old mysticism um i like how they've diversified the triplets so that they have their own personalities i like that it's building a bigger universe that's like all the disney afternoon shows there have been explicit references or characters from darkwing duck um the adventures of gummy bears tailspin um uh i'm forgetting some but i know there's more coming like the third season had a big poster when it was being when it was announced that had like all of these characters that are coming to the show we're in the second season now we're really enjoying it and it's um it's a lot of fun and it's all there on disney plus so you can catch up um what is it it's the new it's the new one 
Yes. And it's and it's really good. Yeah, I really enjoy it. It's got a great voice cast. It's got really fun adventures, and it has a big um, overarching mythology that the first season was a little lighter on. The second season is and building out a lot more. Tales mythology. Yeah, I mean the original had a, a little bit. I mean adventures and like its own characters, but again, what it's doing is. In addition to like building out its own cast, it's bringing in characters and concepts from the other Disney afternoon shows of the 90s. So like Don Carnage from Tailspin was in it. Um, Fowl from Darkwing Duck. Darkwing Duck as a TV show, but I think is going to be revealed to be a real character. And then a lot of those villains. Um, the Gummy Berry Juice from The Adventures of the Gummy oh, Berry I love Gummy Berry Juice. Magic and mystery. Is part of their history, right? Yes. Along and so it's all of those shows. shows. Yeah, uh-huh. it's and it, it's just doing interesting things. Like, um, but yeah, like uh, Darkwing and Goslin are going to show up in season three. Oh, the the three Caballeros, his two friends, show up to, in an episode from season two. So it's just introducing all of these old elements, bringing them in, building a bigger mythology of like this universe. And it's just a really fun show. Cool. Very cool. Um, all right, man. Well, Jordan, you get to keep talking because you're going to walk us through the awesome plot of Bloodshot. <laughs> well, just as so a heads up to our listeners, it before, but um, Bloodshot is let's let's give this let's give the uh, the specs here. Give me one second. Yeah, yeah, sir. So Bloodshot is dun, 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 a movie, and it it has been uh, published by Sony Pictures Entertainment. It is uh, a movie about the Valiant Comics character, Valiant Comics character of the same name. It was directed by David S. F. Wilson in his feature directorial debut. By the way, credit to uh, Wikipedia for what you're hearing now. Screenplay by Jeff Wadlow and Eric Hesserer. Story by Jeff Wadlow. Um, Vin Diesel, Elza, uh, Isa Gonzalez, Sam Hewn, Toby Kebbell, Kebbell, and Guy Pierce. And. Um, just the quick byline is it follows a Marine who was killed in action only to be brought back to life with superpowers by an organization that wants to use him as a weapon. And with that, Jordan, um, what is the plot of Bloodshot? So Bloodshot opens on U.S. Marine Ray Garrison, played by Vin Diesel, who, uh, you know, is going through his whole deal. He's running missions. He's saving civilians through right. war-torn countries. Uh, but whenever he comes home, he comes home to his wife, Gina. They, you know, live a happy life. She wishes he maybe came back permanently, but, you know, he always comes back. But things take a turn when his wife is kidnapped by a terrorist that he's wronged. He's able to uh, try and fight them off, but gets drugged. And the terrorist ends up killing his wife right in front of him before also killing uh, Ray. But as it happens, so he's a soldier and his body was donated to science where um, Rising Spirit Technologies has resurrected him with a nanobot infusion that gives him super healing, inhuman strength, and all sorts of other abilities. Uh, And he's made to be part of a team uh, that's made up of other cybernetically enhanced soldiers as led by Dr. Emile Harding, played by Guy Pierce. He has amnesia, so he can't quite remember what happened to him or what happened to his wife. Doesn't even remember he has a wife. But he does end up making a connection with uh, U.S. Navy diver K.T., uh, played by Isa Gonzalez, and um, but also develops kind of a rivalry with other soldier Jimmy Dalton, played by Sam Hugan. Uh, and there are a few other people in the general. There's a tech guy. There's um, another soldier whose eyes are missing, but he's been replaced with cameras on his chest. Uh, 
sort of crew. But as he's getting to know KT, who has had her lungs replaced with an artificial rebreather, uh, some memory triggers, the song Psycho Killer, uh, reminds him of his wife and the person that killed him. And using his technology, he goes rogue. He tracks down the terrorist who's traveling in a convoy. And with his regenerative abilities, he's able to take out the guards and kill this um, prisoner. And when he returns to Rising Spirit technology, it turns out this isn't the first time he's gotten revenge on his wife. They, in fact, every time he is put under, his memories are wiped. A 3D simulation of what happened in his past is generated in his head, and he's given a new target because uh, Rising Spirit Technologies is killing off anyone who has defected or uh, might give away their secret. So in the next iteration, he goes to kill another member of the team uh, that, that defected, but as it happens... A tech guru played by Lamorne Morris named Wilfred Wiggins is able to set off an EMP that shuts off his connection to Rising Spirit. Wiggins wakes him up, reminds him of the truth of what happened, and uh, uh, Ray decides to go rogue, trying to find his wife. He tracks her down, only to discover that long before he died, his wife had left him for always leaving and going to war. Uh, heartbroken, he's accosted by soldiers from Rising Spirit, they have a battle through the streets, and they are able to take him back into custody. But uh, KT, who'd grown a connection to Ray over all of these repeated wipes, uh, decides to help him out with Wiggins' help. She teams up with Wiggins when she's sent to kill him instead of killing him. Uh, they bring Ray back online with a full injection of the nanites, uh, and he's able to tear his way through Rising Spirit, battling against all of the uh, other enhanced soldiers. But his nanites' levels continue to run low throughout the fight, and he runs completely to zero as he faces off with Guy Pierce, but sacrifices his own life to make sure he gets the kill. However, uh, Wiggins and KT are able to recover his body and bring him back to life, turning the nanites into a self-sustaining ecosystem in his body so he will no longer need re-upload injections. And the three set off to make a life together as a new mercenary unit as credits roll. And, See, and, sure. and, a, and a little comment is made about, wait, isn't this a little too perfect? Maybe this is a simul... And then it cuts. Mm-hmm. See, Jordan, so that took... Jordan, that took about three minutes to get there. There is a plot in this movie. Uh, for our listeners out there, okay. we're la- we're Latin. Just to give you an indication, I think of where this conversation is going to go. Uh, I was I asked Jordan if he could do the plot summary because he's always good at that. He's like, I mean, sure. There's not much of a plot to describe, so it's no problem. All right, I, I was that was a little. Um, what I more meant is there's not. It the plot doesn't matter. Fair. There's I, no, I there's, okay. there's not much in the way of like deeper themes or a little bit, but it's well, not, it's not a deep movie. It's not a that's smart a distinction. Movie. That's a distinction between theme and plot. So like, there's a quite a bit of, of plot. Fair enough. There is, um, but the plot doesn't matter. This is a movie you're watching for the action scenes is more. What I, I guess, mean. I guess. So for me. I think that the most interesting part about it is the lore and, and like the tech. Now, granted, none of the ideas that are in Bloodshot are revolutionary. Nano nanites in the blood that make you—I mean, there's you know—make you uh, invincible and have super healing and keep coming back. I mean, that's been done a million different times. Like I've seen it a thousand times. Like I get that that's not revolutionary. That said, watching the nanites heal him was pretty cool. Um, going to Rising Sun Tech, is it? Rising yeah, Spirit? Yeah, Rising Spirit. Getting to see all of the technology that they have, the rebreather, that the, the other soldier had those 
those uh, metal feet that were really cool and, and could help him run. And he had like sort of a, a built-in exoskeleton. Um, the other dude had eyeballs all over his body. Now, granted, we didn't get to see too many cool things with the eyes. I think that could have been a cool thing to show us more of. But all of like that cool tech was fascinating. And so the scenes where they go for like 10 minutes of tech porn, where they walk you through like, you know, the, the rising spirit tech offices and show you all the cool shit. I was riveted by that stuff. I'm not a huge action scene fan. I never have been. But, you know, it, it was there. It was serviceable. But I don't think it's only just for the action scenes that you watch this movie. I think it's got some interesting stuff to watch, idea-wise. Listen, I, 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 get, I get the sentiment you got from what I said offhandedly. But let me be very oh, I know, Dude, I'm just joking. I, I'm not so <laughs> no, I know, I know, I know. But I enjoyed this movie. I really liked it. I would put it right up there with Wolverine X-Men or X-Men Origins Wolverine as a great, oh, dumb, fun. I love that movie. Now, I am on record as loving that movie, and I would put this in that similar ballpark. Oh, okay. I didn't realize you liked it. I stop on that movie every time it's on TV when I had cable. It's extremely stupid, but I really like it. And that's yeah. how I kind of feel about Bloodshot. It's a really stupid movie, but it's fun. Yeah. I want to know something. Quick question on the plot plot expert guru jordan um the the um do we ever find out in this movie it how he was killed or how he ended up at rising spirit tech not officially assumedly he just died in combat if you were going to read into it maybe when he got that wound in um the opening of the film maybe he got shot down in um whatever country that was he does have that moment where he kind of feels his own wound a bit. So, like, if I were going to be, like, I guess if we're looking for in-film text, that would be my guess, since everything else beyond that is a fiction. But that seems to be part of the fiction, too. So I, I think it's just he died in battle. Now, in the in the books, uh, Kevin, what is the actual origin story of Bloodshot? Like, how, is, was it that they, they kill him and then pretend that he died in battle or no? It's similar to that. Honestly, out of the ones I've read, I so... I have read the entire Jeff Lemire run, which is actually not delved that much into his origin story. Um, the there was so uh, ever since Valiant did the reboot in 2012, they had a 25 issue run. Um, I forget who wrote that off the top of my head, um, and that was more along the lines of kind of what this movie was based on. Um, but it's a similar thing. I mean, Rising Spirit took him and uh, manipulated him and sent him all his mush- all, the, all these missions. They've changed the origin story a little bit several times, so I don't really know the definitive one there. The Jeff Lemire run is more about after he escapes Rising Spirit, his life after that. Kind of, did he, Rich, did you watch any of the Punisher Netflix series? Not Punisher, no. Okay, so it, there's a very similar vibe between those of like, it's kind of like, you know, um, Bloodshot trying to give up being Bloodshot, and obviously he gets um, stripped back into that life. And that was why what really drew me to the character was that run. It was about eight trades, and um, it was more about... It had less to do with the origin, and it was more about a character study, and they did a lot of really cool ideas. Um, my favorite story arc in that one is called The Analog Man, where um, they, uh, the organization gets to him and plays out an entire post-apocalyptic story in his mind. And you're thinking that you're like, um, you think that the story has jumped into the future and they're in this post-apocalyptic world and it all turns out to be an illusion. So all of those concepts that the movie got are from the books. They could just did it slightly different ways. Um, but 
Yeah, I get. I mean, do we want to just go to like initial thoughts here, or do yeah. you have it? Okay. Yeah, go ahead. Sure. So, um, so yeah, I probably was the most excited for this movie out of the. I mean, we're all Valiant fans, um, but because of the Lumiere run, Bloodshot, you know, has become one of my more favorite characters in the universe. My top character is still Exo Manowar. I've read the entire Robert Venditti run, and um, going through the Matt Kent one, I've read most of that, and I've and I've. Um, I, I found a couple like dollar bin issues from the nineties there just to have them. Um, and so he's my favorite character by far, but bloodshot has grown on me. I like, you know, I mean, I like a good military action story and I especially like when writers like Lemire do things like explore PTSD and, um, take it in a more dramatic angle. I mean, obviously there's still going to be, you know, a fun, dumb element of, you know, a nanite is super powered soldier and all that and it uh, is ultimately based in a lot of 90s action movies and that kind of thing but nonetheless i think you know especially runs like that did a good job of exploring deeper themes and so that's why i wouldn't say i mean jordan going back to your point i wouldn't say the plot is totally doesn't matter it's uh, like i mean i'm not gonna anyway say the themes are deeper like you know and that's you know not what you watch this movie for but I think it is a serviceable plot that makes for a decent comic book movie. So I would, I, I put it above X Men Origins. I mean, in terms of initial impressions, like I mean, I definitely enjoyed it. It's not, you know, it would, I would have, I definitely would have seen it in theaters. Um, it's too bad we didn't get a chance to, but you know, of course, everything shut down. But it was a very fun watch. I, you know, um, I like. I, I'd have to think about where I would rank it in, you know, the overall comic book movie sphere, because there's so many. But it was a very satisfying one, and, you know, I had fun with it. But, yeah. No, like, I, I think it's a very exciting B-movie. I don't want to, like, bash the... I mean, again, I, I don't want... Not to get caught up on plot. It has a plot. It is perfunctory, though. There's sure. nothing that's, like super original or that interesting about it it's it's i mean in fairness i don't think bloodshot's origin is that interesting sure i think they did it well he's a soldier he's he's nanobot punisher right that's right his deal right that is um, I, deal. I, I agree he's more interesting when you get to book of death and he gets the nanite stripped out and then you go into that jeff lemire run right um and I don't know what the Sealy run is like. I don't know if it kind of reverts. I just, to I just started the Sealy run. It's like, yeah, it's that one is more like, whereas the Lemire one got really into his character and did like, um, kind of like that. The Sealy one is more chaotic and the rising spirit is gone, but there's of course another organization. And, um, I read the first volume about a week ago. Are you, I'm yeah. reading here on Wikipedia. It says that bloodshot rising spirit volume six of bloodshot has eight issues that have never been collected in, in trade. That's probably oh, wow. from the nineties. No, well, right. No. no, no, no. Rise, rising spirit is like the, um, in between the Lemire and the Sealy run. It's one that goes into his origin. I was confused about that too. Cause I was looking for it at the shop and couldn't find it, but yeah, I don't think it has been collected yet, which is really strange. That's, yet. It yeah. better, it better be. Yeah. Like that. You can't just have, man, is volume falling apart? not falling apart it's just like they did get kind of a corporate takeover last year and i mean i still re i mean i've still really enjoyed some of the books that have come out in the last year but i don't think the guy that came in and pushed dinesh out knows anything about comics and that's you know that's never good but it's also i mean right as we said earlier the comics industry is in a way on hold right now other than digitals so 
Well, yeah. no, I mean, this is decisions that was made long before that. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I'm yeah. Just, I, I know you're talking about the future, but I'm just when I see that, that's disturbing. No, it is. Yeah, one, yeah. One of their two flagship characters has an eight issue run, and they just don't collect it. Yeah. So that that tells me two things. Number one, you know, I guess they thought it was going to go for longer than it did, and then who knows? It, it basically looks like they didn't like that well, run. Is what it looks like. And then fact, if they like, didn't like that run, then maybe they're not making the best decisions about like what writing teams they're putting on it. I don't know. I'm, I'm just trying to read into it based on that's just a weird thing to do. Jordan? I mean, you never know. Valiant runs very weirdly. If we're going to talk about Valiant for a moment. Yeah. As a larger company. I mean, they typically, an ongoing to them typically is 12 issues. I mean, if you look at the majority of their books, yeah, like their launch titles from 2012 had the longest runs. If you look at EXO, if you look at um, uh, Archer and Armstrong. Yeah. But as a general rule, like, they don't typically run past... I I can't think of anything except EXO that's run past 30 issues. The majority don't get to past 12. Um, They they kind of without being officially a seasons model they kind of run like limited series and and being like each year has its crop of books and you'll get relaunches if the characters are popular but it's not typical that you get something super long from them yeah and they also do like four issue trades too so but yeah yeah they definitely do that i'm just dis- uh, it's just weird to see that they had a whole a whole book series that didn't get published and 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 like cuz when you guys said you know I, you were checking out the Lemire run, and then you were interested in the Sealy run. It's like, well, wait a minute. <laughs> what about Kevin Gravu, Lonnie Nadler, and Zach Thompson with artist right. Ben Lashley? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, no, it, it's a strange decision. But, um, but yeah. Rich, do you want to give us your initial thoughts? Yeah. Um, so I, uh, I, I, here's the best thing I can say about a movie like this. When I watch a movie like this... Um, you know, it's very action-packed. Um, you know, it's uh, lots of explosions and, you know, scraping and metal smashing and bullets and running and, you know, noise. Um, when I see a movie like this, like, the best thing I can say for it is that I, I started it and I watched it all the way through. And at no point was I thinking of turning it off and watching the rest of it later. Yeah. Um, that says a lot for it being a pretty darn engaging. I think a big part of that comes from the fact that uh, Vin Diesel is just an absolute pro. Yeah, um, I think he's underrated. He's not underrated. People love him, and he's you know incredibly famous, and he's in a lot of things. And you know he's one of the main leads of of Fast and Furious, and that's one of the biggest franchises in the world. So like I get it. He's not undervalued, but in a way, I don't think anybody's going to say like he's great. You know, like oh man, Vin Diesel is great. Man, what a great actor. But I think he's really really good at. And he's got the right tone and pitch. Like he's not over the top. He's he's not under delivering on energy. He's just kind of like right in the middle there, and he rides this really nice zone. Um, you disagree, Jordan? Yeah, I, I specifically while watching this movie commented, and I feel this is true of Vin Diesel. I was like, Vin Diesel has two modes. He has sullen, gravelly whisper, and he has high intensity yelling. There is no middle. Yeah, but but at neither of those zones does he seem like an out of control maniac. Like no, I don't think he's like over or underacting. I just think he has like two pitches. Maybe, maybe. Um, but both of those pitches are controlled pitches. Is I guess kind of what I'm saying. And I just think that 
he's he's just likable. Motherfucker's likable, and it, and it's just I want to hang out with him and see how this is going to conclude. Um, I thought that the vet, the villain was. You know, he did a good job at being a pretty evil dude. Um, I was a little, there was some things that disappointed me about it. Like, I really would have liked to have, like, for example, Toby Kebbell and the other guy who played, um, you know, the two, like, scientists who defected. Like, that was a really underutilized aspect of the story. Like, why did they defect? I, I, I know why. They had misgivings. But clearly, both dudes are crazy assholes. So why did they have misgivings? They're assholes too, you know? And and I get that maybe that I'm just sort of arguing with myself here, but if if those dudes were going to um you know leave the company but they still wanted the plot of this movie to go and have Bloodshot go kill them, then I guess they couldn't make them too redeemable, because then that would put us in a bad spot, you know, hanging out with, you know, Bloodshot's agency or whatever. But I, you know, I just don't, I just don't really know what to make of all that. And I kind of wished like, like he'd, and, and there really wasn't that come to Jesus moment when like, he's like, somebody tells him like, here's what they're doing to you. Like he, he hears it from Wiggins, I guess. And that's how he figures it out. But I don't know. It, it's just kind of murky the way all of that stuff worked. I wish things were a little bit, I don't know, a little more lore could have been added in there to fill it in. But overall, I thought, I thought it was good. I believed his relationship with Gina. It was a little bit sad, kind of, when he showed up at her house and she wasn't into him anymore. <laughs> um, but you know, it's just it, it's it was just overall pretty good. But I sure enjoyed the whole thing all the way through a lot. So I'd say that's my take. Sure, I'll say going back to Vin Diesel for a minute. So that was the thing I forgot to mention in my initial reaction. So leading up to this movie, when I first heard that he was cast as Bloodshot, not that I don't like Vin Diesel, I just he wasn't my top choice for the character. I thought I actually did have the concern that he was going to be like more over the top, and um, I would have preferred like like someone like Frank Grillo who played Crossbones in the MCU and he was in the Purge movies. He would have been my pick. I think he looks more like the character and could have done the balance more. But I was pleasantly surprised here. I think um, I kind of I agree with what you said, Rich, about like he manages those two pitches really well. It's not like it's a super range performance, but it is really appropriate for the character, and I liked his take on it. It wasn't super over the top. It was, like, um, you got to see the rage moments and then the more, like, you know, collected soldier, and I thought he did a really good job with that. So that was probably, I think, added to my enjoyment of it a lot. I'll I'll, I'll say this, because I, I don't want to make it seem like I think he was over-underacting, because I didn't. What I think is that he was Vin Diesel, and I, I think that's Vin Diesel in most movies. He's just Vin Diesel. Like he was Dom Toretto. He was, he was Vin Diesel. Like I, I that's not to say he hasn't had movies where he's given good performances. I haven't watched a lot of Vin Diesel's um, filmography, but I feel like every time I see him, he's kind of the same dude. And I mean, that's fine. He's li- he is likable. I agree. That's why he leads one of the biggest non superhero franchises in the world because people like him. Um, but I don't think he's like putting much depth or work into it. He's just being Vin Diesel, and I yeah. think that's fine. Yeah. yeah, he's he's putting in the work in the gym, though, bud. Yeah, he's doing that. I was looking at that those, those shoulders and, and and that neck in this movie, and I was like, damn, those are some serious shoulders, and that's a serious neck. Even though even though the motherfucker is five four or some shit. 
hey, Rich, can I say something about the creative team here? So, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so yeah, David F. Will, SF Wilson, yeah, this was his directorial debut. He had done, like, videos and animation in the background and, and in, in the past, and he worked um, in Tim Miller's department, who's the director of Deadpool. Um, but the screenwriters, so Eric Hezer, I always think I'm saying that wrong, but he's the screenwriter of Arrival, um, and then Lights Out, and the reason he was attached to this project is because he had also written comics for Valiant. He did a miniseries called Secret Weapons, and I, he may have done some other stuff, too. Um, but the other guy, uh, Jeff Wadlow, he is the, uh, director of the 2020 cinematic classic Fantasy Island, so I thought I'd point that out for you. <laughs> Wait, what? Yeah, the Jeff Wadlow. So I looked at it. Yeah, he dir- he co-wrote and directed Fantasy Island and then co-wrote this. Um, he was brought on after Eric Kaiser. And um, the I think the reason by, you know, he came from a B-movie background. And also he's the director of Kick-Ass 2, um, which is interesting because Matthew Vaughn is also credited as an executive producer on this. I don't know how much involvement he actually had, but his name is on there. Um, but yeah, no, he's, that's the guy. And yeah, for our listeners out there, Rich and I saw Fantasy Island also before the world shut down. Um, I kind of hated it. I mean, it was, uh, it was a fun B movie to laugh at, but I didn't really take away really any enjoyment from it other than making fun of it. Whereas Rich was actually really intrigued by that movie. I enjoyed it. Yeah, no, and nothing wrong with that. It's just like, but it was fun. But I, yes, I wanted to point that out that that is the same guy who co-wrote this. That's crazy. Yeah. Hey, um, I am so I got to stand corrected. I have been thinking for the past ten years that Vin Diesel was super short. Somebody told me that. I thought it was him. I thought I had heard somewhere that Vin Diesel said he got his start in movies or or in life, and he got all ripped and became a, a bouncer at a club because he was short. Dude, six foot. Where did I hear that story? I don't know. I heard this story, dude. I heard that he was like a bouncer and that he and that and that it was because he was like shorter than everybody and that was why he got all ripped. Anyway, I'm totally wrong. That's crazy. Okay. Interesting. By the way, is Vin Diesel with Katie Sackhoff currently? I have no idea. I don't know. Okay. Sorry. No no scoop. No, no. No, yeah, I just I have no idea. Yeah, I never really follow celebrity gossip. I oh, don't know. I just never really I don't either, but, but yeah. whenever I start looking into something, I start digging in a little bit. Anyway, I gotcha. Yeah. Um, interesting. Interesting. Um, what other thoughts do you guys have on this movie? Not that there's a ton to say. No, yeah, but else? I would say, just thinking about the action for a minute, I mean, I thought it was it was solid action sequences. I did get a little annoyed at the slow-mo sometimes. I was like, I know that's just like the way to go, but I would have preferred less of that and more just straight up stylistic fights but um but i mean there were really cool moments and i like how you know that they for most of the movie he just looks like vin diesel they wait they kind of waited and gradually built up the classic bloodshot look from the comics where you know white body face the red eyes all of that and so it was kind of cool once they finally brought that out um but yeah it was i mean there were solid action sequences and um you know not like mind-blowing or anything that but Especially for a first-time director, I thought he did a nice job, and you could definitely tell his... He may have worked in video games, too. I know he worked in animation. Um, And it wouldn't surprise me if he worked in video games, because that was Tim Miller's background as well. Um, But but no, it was a very... I mean, from a cinematic point of view, it was... I mean, nothing great, but it was a solid, you know, first outing. Yeah. um... By the way, I just got... I ended up on a deep dive... Um, 
accidentally on uh, Avatar because Vin Diesel is in Avatar 2. Did you guys know this? I may have heard that at some that. point. But when is Avatar 2 ever going to come out? So. <laughs> uh, it says currently 2021 December. Okay. With the following three sequels to be released in 2023, 25, and 27. Dude, listen to this plot synopsis. You ready? I, I've heard it before, years, but yeah. I don't think you're ready, but okay. I'm going to read it anyway. All right. Twelve years after exploring Pandora and joining the Na'vi, Jake Sully has formed a family with Neytiri as they are wandering across the expansive world of Pandora, meeting new allies in the form of the Metcani free diving clan led by Tonawari. Everything changes, however, when the RDA once again invade Pandora to finish what they started. Sign me up. You know I'm there. That's the plot. <laughs> That's the plot. The RDA are back, Jordan and Kevin. I mean, you know I'm there. It's one out like I Avatar has a special place in my heart just cuz like I I mean, I was in high school. I know it's a like a bare bone plot, but you know, it was cool to have that cinematic experience there. Um and I'm just so curious to see whatever sequels we ever get to see assuming, you know, they actually make it to theaters since it's been rumored for well over a decade, but yeah, I, I can't believe it's happening. I yeah, I—that's uh, one of those movies where I don't know that I'll see it. <laughs> um, I, I will definitely see it because the experience in theaters is worth it just for the visuals. But holy shit, it's one of my least favorite plots of any movie of all time. No, I mean it's a lot of people. I, yeah, I—I I, got to see on that. It's been twelve years. Like movies have done better than Avatar since then. It looking pretty. Yeah. Um, and so I don't know. Uh, but getting back to the, the movie at hand, uh, as yeah. far as the action, for me, it got a little too CG at times, especially in the big final fight. Sure. Um, not, not in terms of how Bloodshot looked or his abilities, but in terms of, like, the actual just fight choreography. Right, right. Um, there's, like, a really, really Man of Steel-ass moment where he punches the dude away like he's Zod and Superman going at yeah, him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think I'm, I'm of the very, I'm of the mindset that just let Chad Stahelski fucking choreographic every action movie on earth yeah i agree Uh, because you look at something like harley quinn uh or birds of prey and harley quinn earlier this year and that's like the way better action on the whole but this this still had some good solid like fun stuff to it um it just you know got a little loud towards the end where i was like yeah but but it still looked good for the most part i think what i liked about this movie the most was it had stylistic flares i liked the scene of the killer of the of the guy who kills his wife dancing along to psycho killer um i liked it later when he sees them him like weaving between all the different meat stacks um i like the scene shot in the tunnel with the flower truck and all of the flower everywhere and the yeah way that was really cool um so there's some really good looking stuff in this movie it's just you know it's fine and it's it's a solid fun movie for some of the scenes like that sure but then there there are weird things too there are some plot holes where you're like okay i guess we're just going with this but you know or not even plot holes, just plot contrivances where you're like, why wouldn't he turn? Like, yes, ultimately he can't turn her lungs off at the end because she's hacked it away from him. But he doesn't even try when she's through, like, a door, not even a secure door, like a office door. He just is like, I guess I'll give her the shot to do this. And so it's weird things like that where I'm just like, I mean, there's no logic here. How do they bring him back to life when they explicitly say he has no more nanites and he blows a grenade up in his face? You know, yeah. it's, it's one of those things where you're like, it's not logical. Um, why do they act so much? I mean, 
because because it's one of those weird things, right? From a plot perspective, you have to set it up as a twist. From an advertising perspective, it has literally never been a secret that they're faking his memories. Um, and so when you watch that first scene where they're all like pretending to freak out, it's like, why are they pretending to freak out when he's not even in the room? Like, it's not even just when they're on the comms. It's like they're really, then you get to the next time when you know in movie that they're faking it. And it's like, wow, they're really putting on, they're really going through the motions on it. It's like, it's just weirdnesses like that where you're like, this is, but again, I don't really care. It's a dumb action movie. I'm like, I'm not mad at it. Right. It's like, yeah, you rate it on a different level. Yeah. Well, do you yeah, think here, here's the question though from white paper theory that I always rant about? Do you think that you could have? And I'm not. This isn't one of those. Oh, you didn't like it? Could you do better? This isn't that. This is a this is a theoretical just discussion. Is there a way to make action movies like this not have so many big plot holes? Do you think and still be able to have this kind of explosive action and, the, and that level of stakes? Just a hypothetical question. I mean, yeah, I'd say the John Wick movies. <laughs> I was about to say, I mean, John Wick, you look at John Wick as a very, like... What about the fact that he's getting shot all over the fucking place and not dying? Well, but, like... John Wick! It's John Wick, and, like, like, I think that's what makes John Wick so good, is, like, it is a simple... Especially, look at just the first one. Very simple plot, but they nail the character so well, and the world-building, and you know it's an exaggerated, you know, John Wick world, and they do such a good job with the choreography of the action scenes and the world building. And especially I think in the sequels when they expand on that a little more. Um, and you know, you're just so drawn to that character. So that's a perfect example of like an action movie. that can have good, coherent, simple writing, you know, I don't even like say simple writing, just like simple plot. Yeah. I don't agree. I think the John Wick movies, I, I I've seen the first two now I have three ready to go on, on, on Blu-ray and I'm, I'm like, so good. Every time, every time I think about putting it on, I'm just like, oh, it's so dark. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, no, look, action movies. You can have a smart action movie that has a well thought out plot, and you, I mean, like, I think Winter Soldier is that. I think, yeah, you can have them, but a lot of times it's like you don't need it. Because if you're going for that action audience, they just want to see Vin Diesel do cool shit for two hours. And this movie gives... It's like it's the Fast and the Furious. And again, I, I think another way to look at it is like... For, for a certain audience, this movie might be emotionally impactful. The Fast movies are. And I think the Fast movies are way better than this. I don't want to <laughs> fully bash the Fast and Furious All movies. of them? Um, probably They're not all Fast. way better than this. Maybe not Fast 4, because that movie's really bad. But on the whole, I would say in terms of plotting, but they're still pretty stupid. But in terms of character emotion and connecting, people legitimately click. I don't know if I told this on here, because I don't even remember if we would have. We probably, I might have. But I remember seeing Fate of the Furious in theaters. And there is a part towards the end of that movie where there is an explosion. And Vin Diesel's out in the open and all of the other characters drive their cars in front of the explosion to shield him from the fire blast. <laughs> yeah. uh, and that was my reaction. I fucking laughed out loud in the theater, but I was like the only one. And I got the dirtiest look for my fiance because for some people that was like a really high emotional moment of like, look how much the family fucking cares for each other. And it's like, okay, 
like you can't argue with emotions. Some people get bought up into that. And I just think, like, at the end of the day, it's like, how much do you like the characters? I think this movie does a pretty good job with character of making them likable enough. I feel like the guy with eyes in his chest gets kind of the short shrift. He's yeah, he's sort of there. You know, he, well, here's the thing. I kept waiting for him to, like, join the right side. And yeah, then, like, that's the vibe he does. Huh? That's the vibe he gave. Because you had, you had the Outlander fucking there to be the, the full-on asshole, because you always got to have that guy. You had KT as the girl who falls in love with Vin Diesel, and it's like, okay, because she's the girl, and that's the right. way action movies are written a lot of the time. Right. But even her, like, she was a cool character. She had her own motivation. She did stuff. She was um, well-acted and interesting to watch. Uh, Lamorne Morris was great as the comic relief. Yeah, he was. Uh, yeah. Wiggins. He was New girl, right? Yeah. Yeah, I like, I, like the British, I like the British accent. I thought that was well done. I like the other the other tech guy was interesting. He was the more sad sack one, but I really liked that actor in um, Undone on Amazon Prime last year. You watched that? Yeah. Is it good? It's really good. What is it? I don't even know uh, what it is. It's a show about a woman whose father uh, dealt, or whose grandmother dealt with, um, like, dissociative... Uh, I think it was dissociative or schizophrenia, but basically like losing time and kind of that. And so it's a mental thing, but then she starts seeing her father and her father is telling her like, no, you, you are undone. You can time travel. You can change things. And so like the whole show is, it's like, is it just in her head or is she actually time traveling? And it's about the relationships between her and her family members. I mean, it's from the same team as Bojack Horseman. So I was not surprised that it was great. Uh, But that was your way in. I was wondering how you got onto it. Now I no, know. I mean, I just saw good reviews for it, and I, I wanted to check it out. But yeah, it, it, Tornante made it, and it, it's it's really good. But um, yeah, I think the character work in here is just enough that you like, outside of Vin, who I think is just playing Vin, which is really all he had to do, um, and Guy Pierce, who is playing Guy Pierce in Iron Man 3, because it's essentially the same character. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's fair. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> But again, I love Iron Man 3, so I'm, I'm right. always fine with that. I was like, yeah, Guy Pierce, bring it on. Um, so, you know, I don't know. It did enough where I was like, I like these characters. The plot doesn't matter. There are plot problems, but it's not a big deal. It's just I'm here because there's there's some cool stuff. They have some fun enough ideas. And they had enough cool scenes like the fight in the tunnel where I was like, yeah, yeah, I want to watch more of this. It yeah. flew by. I think that's it the did. best compliment you can give an action movie. Is like, yeah, really absolutely. Don't think about I, just, time. I just thought that, and I agree with you, there's a lot of really cool stylish scenes. Right now, for whatever reason, aside from the ones that you mentioned, I don't remember a lot of them, but I do remember there being some cool parts, like when he was going into the, I know what I liked, the um, the simulation stuff. That was cool. Not that it was like revolutionary and I haven't seen similar things in other movies, but I just thought it really did it well. It, it, it's, it amazingly, you know what I got to say about this movie? This movie punches above its weight. Can I say that as my ultimate take on it? This sure. movie is better than it has any right to be. It punches way above its weight for its budget, for its subject matter, for being the first Valiant film. Um, it's just way better than it ought to be, I think is the best way I could put it. I think that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I just, like, closing thought on my end is, like, I like that, as much as I would like even a small cinematic, valiant cinematic universe, 
I mean, I like that this one stands on its own, and anyone can check it out and get a taste of the character, and may you know if they're into comics, maybe they hopefully check out that universe. Um, cause, is there more? Is there more? Um, is the other one definitely coming? Uh, Harbinger. Uh, I mean, no, the problem is they're owned by different studios, so I know they want to, but that's why they made this one self-contained, and they don't really have any other references or post-credit scenes. So I'm sure they would love to. I mean, that was the plan: is like do Bloodshot and then Harbingers and then do Harbinger Wars. Um, so I mean, I'm sure they want to do that. I think it kind of depends on how much this makes, which I'm, you know, not a lot, but, um, so, I, don't I mean, they're, they're even making a Harbinger movie yet. I don't see it on Wikipedia. No, I, I mean, there's no definitive plans, but, um, I, I mean, I know that would be something they would want to do. It just, you know, it depends on, I think it was wise to make this a standalone. Right. It right. Completely like outside of there's like an Easter egg referen- referencing like some of the founders when they pull up the target map. Right. Right. It's, and you know, it's it's standalone and it should be we don't yeah. just make a solid action movie nobody is coming to this hoping that they set up harbinger yeah um you need to pull in a different audience and really that's the vin diesel audience i think you cast yeah. vin diesel because you want the fast and furious crowd <laughs> yeah i just i'm disappointed that all right let me let me rephrase that I'm looking at this like the art for Harbinger and thinking about just how like it's a beautiful universe and a really there's so much you can do with it. I really hope that Paramount does some great things with it. It looks like as of September of 2019, um, it was it actually was with Sony. So they could have done uh, a universe, but apparently it got scooped up by Paramount. Yeah. Apparently yeah. Happened, yeah. Which is weird. Um. He, well, I mean, he, it, he was key in the transfer. Go ahead. It's similar to like what happened in the '90s when Marvel was on the downturn and they had to sell all their major characters to different studios, and that's why it took so long to get you know Spider-Man and X-Men into the MCU. Um, so it could have been a similar-ish thing as that. It's you know studios buy out different properties, and so you kind of have to work work with what you got. Okay. Well, hey, I think we I think we kind of put put that to bed. Um, the movie. Um, do we want to, I, I, one thing I do, I want to ask Jordan before this is over, we, uh, since we last talked, Sonic the Hedgehog came out. What do you oh, think yeah. of it, bud? Oh, I really enjoyed it. Um, you know, it's, again, it's on a different level. It's a, it's a kid's movie. And I think for that, it's surprisingly solid. I mean, it has a lot of the dumb tropes and, you know, dumb jokes, but I thought like Ben Schwartz is great as Sonic. I liked Jim Carrey as Robotnik. Um, and while the plot's nothing to write home about, it's a simple, it's a road trip buddy movie that you know is kind of stupid. It's fun. I enjoyed it. I really liked it. I'm surprised. Uh, That's good. That's good. I mean, I'm not surprised, being that I've heard good buzz, but I, I don't think you were expecting to like it very much. I was expect. No, I've I've thought since the first trailer, I, I thought it looked like a fine movie. Okay. I didn't even again. Yeah, yes, the redesign looks better, but I was like, don't you don't. I mean. I was never like, you need to redesign it. Yes, it looks better now, but, you know, I was like, you know. But, but, like, what I'm happy about is people complained about it, and then people did turn out to see it. And, like, that almost never happens. So I was happy about that. People put their money where their mouth was, and it's now, like, the highest grossing video game movie opening weekend, all that stuff. Yes. So clearly we're getting a sequel. Uh, Theoretically, yeah. I mean, don't they always make sequels to stuff that's mad profitable? <laughs> Usually. Yeah. Uh, but I don't know if it's been officially announced yet. Okay. All right. Um, cool. 
Uh, any other uh, last-minute thoughts you guys want to uh, do before we sign off? No, not really. I, I mean, I'll definitely be checking out more stuff, and hopefully we can record more now that we're, you know, the lockdown is not, you know, we're not sure when we'll be out of it, so we got time now. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah, all I'm, uh, where am I at? I'm gonna be continuing to watch stuff and, and play video games. Are... Yeah, what's coming up soon, man? We got Resident Evil 3. By the way, have you heard that it's only five hours? Are you bummed at all and there's only one route? I mean, that's Resident Evil 3, so I'm not surprised. Okay. Um, I mean, sorry. Well, it's the original. There's only one route in the original, and it's a shorter game. So, I mean, unless they really went in there to add a bunch of stuff, I'm not surprised it's still that short. Um, are you still super excited about it? Yeah, you know, the reviews have been mostly positive, but I, I've gotten the sense it's probably going to be... I, 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 I'm pretty convinced I'll come out liking Resident Evil 2 more by the end of it. Oh, I could, I could, I could, um, I'd, put, I'd put a lot of money on that right now. Not even, I'm not even just saying because of length or because of any of that. It's just like from, from the way it is described, it is much more of a constant pressure game. Um, but after playing the demo, like I'm less worried about Nemesis than I was because of the size of the environments, because of the way it's structured. It feels like the world is built for the character and it's, he's going to be more present, but he's not so bad to dodge as it, like if he were in Resident Evil 2, which I'm sure someone will mod him into that at some point. Wait, 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 wait. What was your fear about Nemesis? Before? That would be too overwhelming. Cause like Resident Evil 2, the game is so narrow hallways and it's very like, if Mr. X is coming at you, you basically have to bait him out to get around him. Whereas, right in the demo for resident evil three. And I'm sure there are more interiors too. I know you go back to the police station at one point, but it's like, it's big, it's open streets. It's like, there's room to maneuver. There's like, he runs right at you and he can jump and all that, but there's more room for you to like dodge around him as opposed to it just being him in narrow hallways, charging your ass. Are you buying it digitally? Or are you going to order it online? No, I'm going to buy it digitally. Okay. I bought resident evil two digitally. So, yeah, it's just a big investment for that game, man. That's all. But I'm I'm, I'm going to have to do the same thing, I think. But no, it's the way the world is. I bought Animal Crossing digitally. Yeah, yeah, uh, it does um, make things easier. It and then uh, I bought Control last night, so I'll play that. Oh, Control's too. great. How much did you get it for? Uh, twenty three ninety nine. Great deal on uh, PS4. Or? PS4, yeah, it was sixty percent off. Nice. Right. Yeah, that's a really good game. You didn't get, like, uh, Foundation. Or, well, you don't have any... You're nowhere near that yet. No, no. Uh, but Foundation, it just came out, which is the DLC for that. And then AWE is coming out later on this year, which is going to be potentially a tie-in with Alan Wake. So that's cool. Um, so that... I mean, that control is fantastic, as I'm sure you've heard. Yeah. I'm, Super I'm fun. Super fun. Well, let us know how that is, man. Um, and uh, anything else, Kevin? No, I mean, I'll check out Devs in Westworld for sure. And then... Do it. Um, movies, I... Well, I really hope theaters reopen by the time we get, you know, like, the next Nolan movie and then Dune and all those others, because I cannot imagine watching those uh, at home, you know? I, I really hope we're, the world is back spinning by then. Um, but, oh, it's gotta be. Yeah. yeah. You're absolutely right, though. Those two movies in particular, they yeah. held out. Yeah. So. But, yeah, other than that, I mean, just going through whatever comics and books and stuff I have at home. Awesome. Awesome. I'm playing through some uh, some old games I never finished. I just finished uh, Yakuza Kiwami. Really enjoyed the hell out of that. Finally played that wonderful quote-unquote story, and it is really good. Um, did you ever play the first Yakuza, Jordan? I have not. Okay, well, it's great. 
Um, I still think I probably should have played Zero <laughs> instead because now I can't play that like right after it because I'm just so yakuza out. Because when you get done with the Yakuza game, holy shit, that button mashy combat's really fun for a while, but like the thought of a whole other game of it, I might die. Um, but uh, but anyway, Zero is I can tell now. I now after finishing Kiwami, I fully believe that Zero is probably the better game. But say love me. Um, and, um, and I've been playing Mass Effect 3. That's the next thing I'm going to go all the way through, finally. For long-time listeners to the Joy of Gaming podcast, you'll know the significance. Can't wait till I can celebrate and tell you guys that I've finished it. Um, but in the meantime, that's it. So uh, without any further ado, uh, I am Rich Lepore. Jordan Alseka. Kevin Schaefer. And we will see you all uh, sometime in the near future. Very well. Take care. Have a good night. Bye.